You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Uh, You can walk into a church that you don't know anybody at all, uh, but if you're saved and they're saved, there's, there's family. And what a, what a blessing that that's the case. And with that, uh, we want to make sure that that's how other people feel when they come here, uh, that they walk in and feel like they are uh, received. And uh, it's just, it was just a blessing to be able to be there. Uh, good to be back as well. All right, Revelation chapter number 3, and we're going to look at verse number 7, and we will read down through verse number 13. So just follow along with me if you would. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogues of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly." Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith, unto the churches. And here as we continue looking at these seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, we see that these churches are representative churches of all churches. There are, there are seven local bodies of believers. These were real churches, just like Bible Baptist Church. They were a real church real people. This is not an allegory. This is a letter written to a pastor and a church. And so we look first at the careless church, the church of Ephesus. And when you look at these churches, some, uh, you look into what uh, hyper-dispensationalists believe, and they will believe that each one of these churches represented an age, a dispensation of time, and that that church then was representative of all the churches in that era, like there were no other ones besides that. So uh, the church of Ephesus, which we would call uh, the careless church, uh, they say that that would have been first century, AD 70, up until uh, AD 169. Uh, the church of Smyrna, the crown church, was from AD 170 to uh, AD 311. Uh, and that's what they say. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm just saying this is how they have broken it out. Uh, and they say the church of Pergamos, or the compromising church, was from AD 312 until 604. 5 AD, and then Thyatira, the corrupted church, 
from AD 606 to AD 1519. Uh, then we had the Church of Sardis, which was the feeble church from 1520 to 1749. Philadelphia from uh, 1750 to 1899. And they say that we are in the Laodicean church age, uh, which would be from uh, 1900 uh, up till the rapture. And so that's how they break out those ages. And I only have one problem with it. Can't find that in the Bible. Man, it sounds great. Uh, And, you know, sometimes smart people are just too smart. They're so smart, they find things that aren't even there. And, you know, God is, God is smart enough to give us what He wanted us to have. Uh, when, when something was allegorical or symbolic, He would use the term such as or like unto. Uh, that tells us that it is something that is symbolic. And so when you are studying the Word of God, you always interpret the Bible literal unless the Bible tells you that it's allegorical or symbolic. And so uh, there, there are definitely a lot of different uh, views on this. Uh, I do not believe, uh, I do believe that these churches were very literal churches. And I believe that you can look at the strengths and weaknesses of every one of these churches and see them in every age, in every period of time. Uh, because all of these were written to at the same time. They were all going on uh, at the same period of time when John was writing and, 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 and uh, pinning what the Lord had given to him. So obviously these, pa- these churches, these pastors, uh, they were all in existence. Uh, and so uh, with that though, uh, we do see the, uh, the strengths of the churches, the weaknesses of the churches, And they can be seen in every age. They can be seen in every church. And you can have a great church that has some of the strengths of the great churches that are listed. And that great church can also have some weaknesses that are listed. And with that, I think that all of us can take what God has given to us and allow it to teach us guide us, direct us. He said the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. And so uh, we look at that and we see how the Word of God can teach us, teach us what's right, teach us what's wrong, teach us how to make the wrong right, and teach how how to keep it right. And so uh, that's what we see here. So tonight we're going to look at the Church of Philadelphia. Now the Church of Philadelphia... Here would be the faithful, the guys got ahead of me, and it would be the faithful church. And so the faithful church. Now when you look at the church of Philadelphia, there, there are no corrections. It was not a perfect church, but this and the church of Sardis 
uh, were the only two uh, that did not, I'm sorry, of Smyrna, uh, they are the only two that did not have any corrective measures, things that were said to them uh, that they needed to get right. Uh, so this was a great church. This is what we would look at as a faithful church. And so we're going to look at this letter tonight, and uh, we're not going to be able to hit everything that's in this passage uh, from 7 to 13. There are so many things here. Uh, last week I finished and Brother Rick was saying, oh, I was hoping you were going to uh, address this right here. And I was like, there wasn't time. And so anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to just go through the big picture of this church. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. And let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do pray that you would help us. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. You've been so good to us. And just uh, guide us, please, for Christ's sake. Amen. So, uh, this, of course, is addressed to the angel, the pastor of the church, the messenger of God to the church, uh, to the assembly of believers. And it says so in verse 7, and to the angel uh, of the church of Philadelphia, right. And so the addressee is the pastor, uh, which is also in turn going to communicate this letter from the Lord to the church. And so you have uh, the addressee uh, to the pastor in the church. The addressor would be the Lord Jesus. It says, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Now, there's a whole lot in that verse. There's a, there's a whole lot of information uh, about that. Uh, we see uh, that it, the one that is speaking is he that is holy. He that is holy. You know, you just stop and think about God. You cannot remove the holiness from God. You can't have a proper view of who God is without understanding that He is a holy God. And in His holiness and in His purity, there is an absolute disdain for that which is impure. But the focus is not the impure, the focus is the pure. And that's why God said, be ye holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. And you and I, we are, our goal is not to just not do things that are wrong. Our goal is to be like Him. You know, when our goal is to be like Him, none of the standards, the convictions, the guidelines, none of them matter. Because my goal isn't just to see what I'm not doing. My goal is what I am to be. And when we're talking about the holiness of God, we are talking about the very essence of God. The very 
personal character of God. And so he that is holy, it's the word hagios, be holy. Uh, and it's the same word of separate, come out from among them, be separate. Uh, and that separate there is the word hagios. It's holy. It is untainted. It is set apart for God's work. And when we separate something, we sanctify something. Uh, when something is set apart as holy, then that is uh, to be set aside as pure as unto God. Now, you and I, we are impure. But we have been given the imputed righteousness of Christ. What a blessing. You see, when Christ came to this earth, He took on Himself. He bore in His body our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It was through what Christ did that has allowed us to be holy, to allow us to be able to be viewed as uh, holy and sinless. So he that is holy is the one that is speaking. Uh, this is declaring that Jesus, the speaker, is God, and he is, amen? Uh, and it's just, it's just telling us about who he is, uh, but he is holy, and that's, that's how he wanted the church to view him. He wanted this church to look at him, and he was saying, I'm speaking, and the one that's speaking is holy. I wonder why he chose this church to represent his holiness. It was the faithful church. I'm, I'm guessing that this was a group of people as a whole that were probably a holy group of people. A church is not a faithful church without good, godly people. And if the Lord is going to look at a church and there is going to be this commendation, then, then this group of people, they were already embodying this in their own lives as much as somebody can uh, because we're, none of us are perfect uh, for sure. But here, he is representing himself as holy. And I think the Lord is just trying to bring some identity to them. You know, when we live in this world, you know, it, it feels like we are all by ourselves. Nobody else believes like we believe. The whole world has gone crazy. And it has. And it's amazing here that the Lord is identifying His holiness to His people who I am, I believe, we're trying to be holy. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to feel like we're, we're by ourselves. We're not an island all by ourselves. And the decisions that we live to be holy is going to separate us from this world. It's going to. Because light and darkness, they don't dwell together. And so as we are becoming holy and are endeavoring to live holy, uh, the Lord here is identifying himself uh, as speaking to them, he that is holy. He goes on, he that is true. He that is true. The word true here means not a copy. 
an original. He's the real thing. So here he's communicating to this good church, and he communicates that he's holy. He communicates that he's true. I wonder if these were some of the things that they struggled with. Endeavoring to be holy, endeavoring to be true, to be real. You know, our goal is not just to conform to a bunch of rules, regulations. There are a lot of people that do that, and in doing so, there's an emptiness that's there. You know, when I got saved and the Holy Spirit was working in my heart, I mean, all the things that He was nailing in my life, they were outward things. Then He moved to the inward. But all of those things that He was working on in my life, I have zero inhibitions about letting any of my convictions fall. You know why? Because it was, the, it was him that brought me to those places. And with that, I don't have any inhibitions about my belief system. You know, when, we, when we're just a copy... There's an emptiness. Because all we're trying to do is, well, I got to keep on working to try to be, do more, be more. And the Lord isn't trying to get us to be a carbon copy of anybody but Him. And as He works in our life, what do we find? Uh, we, are, we are just a vessel, and that vessel, uh, we are just supposed to be submitted to Him. And as we are taking steps of growth and we are following His lead in our life, what we're going to find is He is going to be the one that makes us holy. It's not us. You know, we're not a very good Holy Spirit. As a parent... Deb and I have had this conversation many times. It's like we would, we would try to make sure that our kids were doing everything they were supposed to do. And we tried to be the Holy Spirit in their life, even after they were adults. You know what? See Lee's getting ready to go back to tonight's or last night, heading back to college tomorrow. Uh, you know what? She, has got, she is making decisions right now for herself. And all of the influences, now she's got to figure out, what do I believe? You know what? Once, once we figure out what we believe, what we find is, some of the pressure's off. The pressure's off. Because we're not in competition with anybody else. Here we have the Lord, He's saying, listen, I am holy and I'm true. 
I am the original. I'm not a copy. I'm not a parody. He is the original. His person, his essence, his being. Uh, he is truth. He is God. And so when we look at these two first things, it's talking about the personal character of who he is. Uh, he is holy and he is true. Uh, but then he goes on and says, he has the key of David. So we see his personal character, but now we are going to see some of his political character. Uh, we're going to see that now he holds uh, the key uh, of David. Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22 Isaiah twenty two twenty two, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall, be, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like uh, Revelations chapter 3. Uh, go to Luke chapter 1 and verse number 32. Uh, Luke 1, 32. And we've got that up there on the, the screen there. But uh, Luke one thirty two, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And so here what do we find? We just find that God's word is proving itself true over and over and over again. Uh, hundreds of years prior uh, to the birth of Christ, uh, Isaiah was prophesying uh, that the Lord was going to sit on the throne of David. And, and here uh, we find that that was the reality uh, it came up in Luke again and then in Revelation. Uh, and so we see that political. He is the one that has the key uh, of David. Uh, it tells us uh, next that he opens. He that is true, he that is, uh, that is holy, he is the one that opens the door. And with that, he's opening the door, but who is he talking to? He's talking to a church. He's saying to this church, I am the one that opens the doors. He'll go on and say he is the one that is going to shut the doors as well. And, and we're not talking about a physical set of doors. He is talking about opportunities. He is the one that opens the doors of opportunities. Uh, he opens the opportunity door uh, for the church to serve him, uh, to be able to represent him. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read a verse together here. 2 Corinthians 5. You know, it's the Lord that gives us opportunity. You're you, your service for the Lord, uh, my service for the Lord, the church's opportunities for the Lord, that's because he opened the door. It's not just because we saw a need. It's bigger than that. God is sovereign. And in God's sovereignty, he is the one that opens the doors. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, 
As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And, and even in the, the teaching and even in the preaching here, Paul is saying God is the one uh, that is beseeching you. It's not us that's beseeching you through the teaching and the preaching. He was saying it was God that was working in us for you to get the message that you would be reconciled to God. Uh, God is sovereign. He's the one that works in our lives. He is the one that is drawing us and directing us. So he gives us those opportunities. He opens the door uh, to impact. You know, we have an enemy, but we also have opportunities. And those opportunities that God opens for us, we are to do what we can to fulfill the sovereign plan of God in our lives. Uh, We have opportunities to fulfill the sovereign plan. Uh, The community, the culture, uh, 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 or even the church's talents and abilities or resources, that's not what chooses what the church can do. That's not what chooses which doors are open. What, What determines what doors are open is God. The Lord is the one that opens doors. It is the Lord that is the one that closes doors. So he opens doors. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He said, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And so uh, just because a door is open, or just because there are adversaries... Did you hear that? Or is it just me? Did you hear something? Okay, all right. I wasn't sure if I was going crazy. I'm looking at some people that are like, no, I didn't hear anything. All right, okay. I did. I just heard something, a loud vibration type uh, background noise. Now that everybody is aware of that, but... All right, that was distracting is what that was. Uh, But here, this great door and effectual, it's opened up. Now, if God can open the doors, we also see that even though that door is open, there are many adversaries. Just because there's an adversary doesn't mean that the door wasn't opened by the Lord. God doesn't promise us smooth sailing. I mean, I think the Lord told the disciples to get on a boat and go to the other side. When they got halfway in the middle of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, what happened? A storm came along. And that storm came along, and they were fearful for their life, but they were right in the middle of God's will for their life at that moment. And the Lord may use an adversary. He may use a burden. He may use a trial in our life, an opposition uh, to just... Uh, Uh, teach us, to uh, help strengthen us. But here we see that that great door and effectual was open, but there were many adversaries. And the Lord will get us through. Uh, It's very seldom does God get us out of a burden or a trial. He gets us through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's not that God is saying that there isn't going to be death. It doesn't say that what we are fearing is not going to become a reality. It's just that God will get us through. And God is 
God is a God that does get us through. And sometimes there are doors that he opens up that we did not anticipate. You know, COVID has opened up some doors. It has. Not too long after uh, the COVID event uh, took place, I was out of town. I got a letter from, or a, a call, I believe it was from Brother David, and uh, there was a deputy uh, sheriff that showed up with a letter uh, and said, if you open up, we're going to we're going to take you to jail or we're going to prosecute. I don't remember all the, the details of that letter. And so I got back in town and I called the sheriff's department and I put in for a request to meet with the sheriff. And so went down to meet with the sheriff because I was going to find out what he what was going on and where he stood. And so uh, anyway, uh, I got there for my appointment. Uh, they let me into his office. It's the sheriff, the undersheriff. Uh, we're both there. Uh, I sit down and I just opened the conversation with you and said, okay, uh, with everything that's going on, I just want to know, are you a constitutionalist? And he looked at me and said, okay, preacher, we're on the same side. <laughs> And I said, no, I said, I, I needed it. Where, where are you at? He said, no, we're on the same side. And the undersheriff pipe, pipes up and he said the same thing. We're on the same side. Uh, and come to find out both of them are saved. And, and we start talking a little bit. I have a word of prayer with them. I leave and then I go back just uh, to meet with them, see how things are going. And then he asked me to be the uh, chaplain. And it opened a door that I did not even think was a direction that we would go or I would go. But it was a door that the Lord opened. Not only did the sheriff want, us, want me to be the chaplain, he also introduced me to, took me down to the jail, went through the jail, and as we were with the, at the jail, went in, talked to the captain of the jail, and the captain of the jail wants us to come in and hold services in the jail. Captain of the jail wants us to come in and start holding uh, RU meetings in the jail. You know what? It was a door that was kicked open. Were, are there many adversaries? Absolutely. Are there problems? Yes. Uh, but the Lord is the one that opens doors. You know, several years ago, Brother Frank and I went and met with the, uh, at the jail. We tried to get uh, RU in. We tried to get in to uh, be able to hold services in the jail, and we were denied. We tried to appeal. There was nobody. They wouldn't talk to us. No opportunity. But what happened? The Lord opened a door. You know, a, do a door that the Lord opens, no man, no man can shut. No man can shut. You know what that gives us? That gives us confidence. As we're serving the Lord, as a church, as we are serving the Lord, when God opens a door, that should just give us confidence that, hey, he's not only going to open the door, he is going to give us the wherewithal to be able to walk through that door and to be able to accomplish whatever it is that he is asking us, that opportunity that he is giving to us. Uh, and right now, do we have the people that are going to fill that slot uh, to preach in the jail? Uh, we don't have it filled yet, but I know we're going to. Why? Because God opens a door, and when those doors open, he also has a plan for it to be fulfilled. He doesn't open a door for no reason at all. 
He, he is the one that opens those doors. But not only does he open the doors, he also shuts doors. He also shuts doors. There are doors that sometimes come to a close. And no matter how hard we try to kick it open, it's not opening up. And I'm seeing some smiles as I look around with other people besides me that have tried to kick a door back open and it just doesn't work. You know, there were some doors that closed in the last year and a half. The doors to the care homes have come to a close. And we're working to get those open back up. But it's not open completely up. You know what we've got to do? We have to just trust that the Lord will open the door when it's time for that door to open. And if he closes that door, maybe he wants us to redirect. It doesn't mean that that door will stay shut forever. But maybe there's something else he wants you to do in this period of time. And so he opens doors, uh, and no man can shut. He shuts doors, and no man can open. Uh, we can try to force something. We can try to manipulate. But God, it's God that opens, and it's God that shuts. So this church, this church in Philadelphia, uh, and, this, and the word Philadelphia means uh, brotherly love. So the city of Philadelphia was the city of brotherly love. Now, when you think about that, you would think that that would have been the result of that city by being started by believers. But historically, there is no mention of any Christian influence before this period of time. So, so with that then... There were, there were some things that were about that city. They started that city. You know, we look at the founding fathers of the United States. Though many of them were believers, not everybody was. But there were good principles. There were biblical principles that were used. You know, God blesses. He blesses when we do right regardless of who it is. You know, if a, if a lost person follows good biblical principles and finances, they'll be blessed. If a lost person follows biblical principles in their marriage, they'll be blessed. Truth is truth for everybody. And here this city, the city of brotherly love, somewhere along the line, the people that, were, that named this city, uh, they were trying to build it on something that they knew was right and they knew was good. But, but here, when we look at this, uh, the word Philadelphia is used two times in the Word of God, uh, once in uh, chapter 1, verse 11, and then again here in chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, but uh, with that, you can't have real love without God. You can have the name. It doesn't matter what the name is. 
If you don't have God, it's not real. You know what comes to brotherly love? Brotherly love is the result of God's love. And if we don't have God's love, there's no way we can have brotherly love. And it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what, what type of uh, words we say, uh, actions we try to portray. If there is not godly love, if God is not in our life, then there will not be that uh, real love. So 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse uh, 16, he said, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And so, for that love relationship to be proper, there has to be that relationship with God. For you to be the husband that you need to be, you can't love your wife, you can't love your children without having a proper relationship with God. Because He is love. And without Him, if He is not uh, the one that is, is guiding that love, then that love is, it might be, it, there might be a sign of it, there might be semblance of it, but it will not be the love that is designed to be. You can't have that love uh, wives to your husbands, uh, uh, parents to your children, uh, all of us as children, uh, to our parents, to our friends. Uh, those That love is the result of who God is. And so here this brotherly love that was there, and that ought to be the reality for uh, every church. There ought to be brotherly love. There ought to be a pure love, a real love, uh, not a feigned love, not just words uh, that are thrown out. They, they need to be real. Uh, and so we see that, uh, that it's there. So we see these characteristics of the one who is speaking, uh, and that was the, past, uh, the Lord to the pastor and to the church. Verse number 8 uh, we're not going to get done tonight. Verse number 8, he said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast my word, and hast not denied my name. Now here the Lord is looking at this church, and just like the other churches, he said, I know thy works. So as he is picking these churches out as he is addressing uh, this church. This, just like the other churches, it was an active church. It was a church that served. It was a church that was working. I know thy works. Uh, that is said of all the seven churches, the Asia Minor, uh, that they were working churches, laboring, actively serving. And, you know, that's the expectation. Every believer needs a place to serve. We need a place to serve. There's something about our service for the Lord, not for the church. Now, I love our church. But my, my labor is for the Lord. If my labor becomes for the church, you get burnt out. If our labor is for the church, if we're not careful, we get judgmental. 
Well, where's everybody else? Where are they at? You know, our, our service has to be for Him. And we know when it's not. Because we can all get into ruts. Have you ever been so busy working for God you forgot who you were serving? I have. Academically, we know. But if we're not careful, we can just get busy serving and working and laboring that we forget why we are doing what we are doing. You know, it's a great opportunity to be able to serve the Lord. You know what? I get paid to do this. That's pretty awesome. When I was an assistant pastor, this is the first time in ministry that I've not had to work a second and or a third job. And with that, I would do whatever I had to do so I could serve. I mean, the first 12 years when I was at Bethel, I ended up opening an auto repair shop, built it on our property. I'd get home about 6 o'clock. I would work till 3 a.m. every night. 12 years. And I wouldn't change a thing. Because I was able to do what God wanted me to do. And you know, our service for the Lord is for Him. Now I get to sit around and do nothing. I don't have to do anything now. And, you know, but I get paid to serve the Lord. I was just talking to a pastor over in Nevada, and there was another pastor that ended up getting out of the ministry. And for six years, he was, he was working 60 hours a week and trying to, to pastor the church, and it just got to be too much, and he had to, he had to step back. You know, I, I am so, we're so blessed. God's been so good to us. You know, with that, we get to serve the Lord. And we need a place to serve. If we don't have a place to serve, it's easy to stay home. I mean, how many of you have ever thought, oh, I'm tired, I don't know if I really want to go tonight. I thought that tonight. No. No, everybody does. You know what helps us is when there's a responsibility. Somebody's counting on me to be there. We need that. That accountability is huge in our own life. It keeps us where we know we need to be even when we don't want to be there. And it helps me fulfill what God wants me to do. These churches that the Lord was writing to, he, he spent time writing to churches that were laboring churches. 
I wonder why he invested in them. Because they were investing in his kingdom. You know what? I want the Lord to open doors for us. I want the Lord to lead us. I want the Lord to be the one that we are serving. And he looks at this church. He said, I know thy works. And I have set before thee an open door. Why open a door for someone who is doing nothing? He won't. But when you're working, you're laboring, you're following, you're serving, God says, hey, I've got some more for you. I've got some opportunities for you. And you and I have great opportunity. God has opened up doors for us. And let's allow His leading, His opening doors to give us that confidence, that faith, that we, we can walk through it. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for your goodness to us. And Lord, we're out of time tonight. But I do pray that you would help us, Lord, as we look at these churches. Lord, help us to take some admonition and some, uh, just some uh, correction and some instruction. Uh, may we respond, Lord, the way you would want us to. And and Lord, help us to just be sensitive to your leading and guidance. Uh, may we uh, not uh, uh, push our way ahead of you, but Lord, may we follow. And Lord, may we sense your leading in our lives. I pray that you put a hedge of protection around us as we serve you. Speak to hearts tonight. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll have just a short invitation. I don't know what the Lord may have done in your life. Maybe he puts his finger on something. Maybe there's an area of service that he's been putting his finger on in your life. Maybe you've been apprehensive about moving forward in your service. Whatever the Lord has done. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.